This is Catalog and Cocktails. Hello, everyone. It's time once again. It's time for Catalog and Cocktails, your favorite event on Wednesday. It's a live hangout, a honest, no BS, non-salesy conversation about enterprise data management with tasty beverages in hand. My name is Tim Gasper. I'm a longtime data nerd and product guy at Data.World and joined by co-host Juan. Hey, Tim. I'm Juan Cicada, the principal scientist here at Data.World. And it's Wednesday. And for me, it's been a long Wednesday already. I've uh, been going through the Semantic Web Conference. And there's I was part of another panel earlier today and talking to customers. And I've been context switching. And I need a break. But uh, I still want to keep talking about data. So this is always a fun time to take a pause in the middle of the day, in the middle of the week, and at the end of the day, and chat about data. And today, our special guest is the famous, if you've never heard his name, you've been living underneath the rock, Doug Laney. Doug Laney is the Data Analytics and Strategy Innovation Fellow at West Monroe, and he's author of that best-selling book that hopefully you've all read called Infonomics, How to Monetize, Manage, and Measure Information as an Asset for Competitive Advantage. Doug, it is a pleasure to have you here on Catalog and Cocktails. Uh, we're huge fans. Uh, we uh, love all your writing. We follow you on LinkedIn, so this is going to be a really exciting <laughs> conversation. How are you doing, Doug? Thanks, guys. Great to, great to be with you. How's it going? Well, we're excited to have this conversation today. We're going to be talking about data as an asset and is data the new oil or not and all that stuff. But before we get there, oh, is no. uh, what Them are we drinking? words. <laughs> right, honest, no BS. We're going to be able to go preview of things to come. Exactly. So, but right. before we get there, what are we drinking? What are we toasting for? How about you, oh, Doug? Doug you, yeah, Doug, I'll you got start. something fancy. Tell us about well, it. I have uh, my wife's specialty. It's a toasted marshmallow, old fashioned. Uh, sorry, I forgot to make the big ice cubes, so I had to use the regular ones. But uh, uh, some special uh, twelve-year Maker's Mark. Um, she makes a simple syrup with toasted marshmallows and then a little bit of orange bitters and a big ass marshmallow on top. That I want to eat now, but then I'm going to have I'd have it all over my face for the rest of the the program here. Oh, what am I toasting? Um, well, th this week, um, see, this is what you get from marrying a math data guy. Um, <laughs> uh, this week, my wife and I are married 10,000 days. Oh, congratulations. Congratulations <laughs> for that. I can see everybody doing like math. Da, 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 da. Yeah, it's about divided by 365. Yeah. <laughs> We're not so always right. So, <laughs> how That's about awesome. you, Tim? Look, uh, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll say congratulations, and also um, I will give you a, a little ovation because I think that may be the coolest cocktail we have had yet on Catalog and Cocktails. Right. So, thank you for bringing your A game. Um, today, I am drinking a cocktail called The Last Word. Um, I've been very intrigued by a liqueur called uh, Green Chartreuse, and so I've been mm. playing around with it lately. This is gin, uh, green chartreuse, luxardo, and lime, and it should have a brandied cherry in it, but I don't have one of those right Fantastic. now. Fantastic. A bit um, like an aviator. Very tasty. Yeah, a, a lot like the aviator. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. Uh, uh, great. So, And uh, an I'll, I'll add like a little that. bit of a toast toast here which is that um i'm really glad that vaccines are coming soon for five to 12 year olds that is going to be very good for my yeah. kiddos <laughs> cheers to that and i'm uh i'm taking a kind of very very traditional normal thing fancy just a paloma but use some mezcal instead of tequila uh nice refreshing drink today oh, I got I'm 32 go on paloma there dude 
<laughs> well, there's let's say I, I got my sparkling water here next to me too. So, right. <laughs> anyway, so cheers, cheers to, to ten thousand uh, days of being married, Doug, and and yes, for vaccines for sure. Just very excited for the next uh, what's coming next year. Well, uh, we got our warm up question here today, which is: uh, Is data the new oil, bacon, gold, oxygen, <laughs> currency, or sand, or something else? I don't know. <laughs> I, you know, data is the new data. I actually, we, and I, and I'm kind of serious about that too, because data actually creates more data. When you use data, it creates more data. None of those other items there, you know, do that. Data has like just these phenomenal, unique. Um, economic principles that no other asset has. Um, when you use it, it creates more of itself. When you use it, it doesn't deplete. When you use it, you can use it multiple ways simultaneously. Um, and so, you know, I, I think that the companies that realize this, whether um, consciously or, or, or not, and are taking advantage of it, are the ones that are really, you know, thriving today. Well, I think we got really serious here. Let's just start diving Sorry, into this. I'm sorry, I should drink more then. <laughs> well, all right, quickly, Tim, what do you think? Or is there no, something I, else? I, well, first of all, I love your perspective there. I, I, I'm looking forward to double clicking on that in a moment. My uh, my funny sort of answer to this question is um, I feel like it's uh, data is the new Ethereum. <laughs> so, you know, Ethereum, it has value itself, but it's a platform too, and you can build Bitcoin applications on top of it. Yeah, yeah. All right. It was a little bit of a stretch, so I thought I would try. <laughs> well, I, 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 I guess my creativity is not going right now, so I don't, I can't beat that. But I'm just, let's go dive in here. And I got uh, to start off with our honest, no BS question: Why the heck is data sometimes treated uh, with less respect than like <laughs> office furniture? I love how we, we've talked about this before, and I've seen talks that you've done before. Like we inventory furniture. I mean, something bathroom, like, why is that we treat that with more respect sometimes with data? Mm -hmm. Why does that happen? So I want to challenge anybody, you know, listening today, go, go open. If you're with a public company or, you know, a public company, go open their financial statements, go find data on the balance sheet. Not there. So um, I think that, you know, the, the fact that, that the accountants, you know, for 90 years now, since the, the SEC was formed and the asset classes were defined have denied data asset class status um that means it's just not kind of top of mind it's not treated with the same kind of respect or discipline as as other assets you know even your office furniture is on the balance sheet as under physical plant um but but data is not but that, we've that's been uh that's a groundbreaking kind of way of thinking of it i have not thought yeah. you know if you've got goodwill on the on the balance sheet, why don't you have data on your on your balance sheet? Yeah, I mean, goodwill is a fudge factor for when you acquire an asset and you pay too much for it, or, or you know, acquire a company and <laughs> right. pay a premium, premium for it. I don't mean too much, but a premium. Um, that's that's you know, so goodwill is a fudge fudge factor there. And you know what? Some of that premium might be data. If you purchase a company, you're acquiring their data assets. Now, most PE firms, actually, I haven't found a PE firm yet that that quantifies a company's data as part of a transaction. Um, we're doing that now at West Monroe um, on behalf of PE firms, but um, it's not something that's that's regularly done or at least publicized. Um, that that premium value in part is due to some of the unreported intangibles like data, and that does go into goodwill, but it's just not you know itemized as as data. And and I think this all goes back to you can't you know you you manage the old adage is you can't manage what you don't measure, 
And uh, since data is not something that is measured in the same way as other assets, I think um, companies don't manage it with the same kind of discipline as they do their other assets. And, and the problem with that is, you know, I think it follows that any asset that you're not managing well is one you can't monetize well. And so a lot of company goes, a, a lot of data goes you know, fallow or, or un, unutilized um, because there's no um, evident formal imperative to do so. Okay, so I, you just said something very, very, very important. You can't manage what you can't measure. Right. Um, and you say data is not on the balance sheet and so forth. But we've been talking about quote unquote data is the new oil for so long. Like, why hasn't there been a change? Why aren't we putting some measures around the data? Why aren't when you're acquiring a company, why isn't the PE firm actually putting a value on that? Like, I mean, there, there, there's not enough yeah. Doug Laney's in the world who's speaking about this or, or, or what? <laughs> Um, so, so f f the, the internal answer is again, you're not, you're really compelled to. And so it's not something that is top of mind or really thought about, but when people do think about it, they're like, yeah, you know, we really don't have a method for doing that. The accountants haven't you know, come up with one yet. Um, but yeah, we are working with some companies to, to, to value, to value their data. I worked with a, a pharmaceutical wholesaler. I've worked with a, a, um, a household name pharmaceutical company and, and, and others to, to value their data so that they can make better decisions about how to invest in it, how to leverage it, um, whether to dispose of it um, or, or continue retaining it. But um, from an accounting standpoint, um, I, I suppose that the, I have this theory that the keepers of the accounting standards are somewhat beholden to the icons of industry. So now imagine yourself a CEO or a CIO of some, uh, or CFO of some company. Now, now raise your hand if you want to report on more publicly than you already do. No, nobody wants to do that. Um, the, what you can do with, with data is something that you don't have to really disclose to anyone else. I mean, we've seen this recently with, with Facebook, right? Nobody really knows what they're doing with this, this data. And then when it comes out, people are surprised because they don't have to really report on it the way they would mm -hmm. with, with other assets. Data, what we, what we do in the shadows. Yeah, yeah I don't, don't give me more work. Like if we're not, we don't, we're not measuring it, whatever. It means I don't have to go report on it. So like, let's just uh, keep it right. as it is the status quo, because if we change yeah, that, it's a, it won't work it's a secret us. sauce. <clears throat> if, if you're a company and, you know, I'm sure many times you could ask a company like, like, is data an asset? And I bet a lot of people would say, yeah. Right. But like, how do yeah. you, what does it really mean to treat data like an asset? Um, but, but, okay, so that's a that's a great question. Um, uh, let's let's first define what it, what an asset is. When so asset is something that, according to you know the accountants, is something that is owned and owned and or controlled, exchangeable for cash, and that generates so what, uh, the accountants call probable future economic benefits. Now, what's interesting about that last one is a lot of people will say, well, data only has value once you use it. Well, that's we're we're in a no BS segment here, right? So that's total BS. That's entirely inconsistent with the way that other assets are valued. You've got a can of soup sitting on a store shelf, right? I don't have a can of soup here, but you've got a can of soup sitting on a store shelf. Nobody's eating it. Are you going to tell me it has no value? Well, it has value. It's on the balance sheet, right? So to apply some different kind of standard to data, I think is ridiculous. Um, and wait, what was your question? <laughs> <laughs> so what does it mean to, to, to treat something like an asset? Oh, yeah. So uh, to know what you have, to have an accounting of it, to have it cataloged, right? 
um, to know its, its value at any point in time, to know its location, um, its usage at any point in time, to be maximizing its utility, um, to be governing it uh, effectively, you know, ensuring that it's, it's managed according to your know, regulations, that it is, is uh, uh, cleansed and enriched. There's, these are things that we are doing to data, yes, but we're not doing it in a way, uh, in a lot of cases, with the same, again, kind of discipline and rigor um, that we do with, with our, our other assets. So one of the things that you mentioned before is that we, we don't have a method to go value data. And mm -hmm. we're seeing, I'm seeing here in the comments by Jeff, he's saying that one way to measure the value of data is what would be the drop in the value of the firm if it is lost, right? Part of that data mm -hmm. is lost. What, so what would you, what, what are your thoughts or how are you seeing of, of methods to go put value on data and, 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 and what is actually value? I mean, is it just, again, is it just monetary, like literally put a price on it as some currency or, how are you thinking? Yeah, yeah. How are you thinking about this? Um, so you can see over my over my shoulder there. You know, in in my book, uh, chapter eleven goes into some detail on how to value data in various ways. So we can value it as a similarly to how we value other kinds of assets. And there are three main approaches uh, for, for that. There's the cost approach. And what does that asset cost to create or or generate or or, or acquire? Um, the market approach. What is that assets? Um, value to others if they were to purchase it now this gets interesting because usually when we sell data we're not transferring ownership of it we're transferring rights to use it which is cool because then we can sell it over and over again it's the publishing model right it's why publishers make a lot of money um and um and and then the third is the income approach what is this assets contribution to a revenue stream or you know or expense savings so those are the three main methods for valuing any kind of asset and they're easily applied to to data um, and again like with other assets you have to make some assumptions when you do these models uh, but then there's some companies who are not you know quite ready to financially value their data and from an asset management standpoint there are other ways to measure an asset like measure its quality characteristics its accuracy completeness timeliness scarcity uh, integrity clarity granularity etc I, I think i outline um, 12 different um, quality metrics in, in Infonomics. Um, and at Gartner, when I was there, we produced a toolkit on how to measure those. So if you're a Gartner client, you can go you know, pull up that toolkit and, and use it. Um, the second method, non-financial method, is the business value of data, where we're looking at um, data's relevancy to across a range of business processes. So we've got this data set, this data asset. How usable is it across all of our business functions? Um, uh, we, can, we can gauge that. And then we might want to also roll into that some um, measures of accuracy and, and, and completeness and, and probably um, the timeliness of data. Because even if it's relevant, if it's not timely, it's not that uh, usable. So uh, some of our clients refer to that as a utility index. Um, I call it the, the business value of information, the, the BVI model. And then there's the, the third way, which is the performance value of information. And, and that is looking at how does this, um, how does having or not having certain data um, impact non-financial uh, KPIs, like sales cycle time, right, or inventory turnaround, um, things that are, are predictors of, of financials but are, are leading indicators. So those are the, the six methods, the, the, the cost basis, the market value, the income approach on the financial side, and then the non-financial measures, the intrinsic value, which is an aggregate of quality characteristics and, and scarcity. The business value model, which uh, looks at how relevant data is across a range of business processes, and then the uh, performance 
value of information, which looks at its impact on, on business KPIs. This is super cool that you've kind of broken down these different dimensions here. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is interesting to, I'm sure your, your book kind of covers this is, you know, and, and you're thinking a lot about this is, mm-hmm. is also the areas where this gets difficult and get, this gets confusing. Like, for example, as you were talking about like market approach, right? Yeah. It's hard to determine, uh, you know, what is the market value if maybe, you know, you're not, you're not allowed to, uh, to sell it or, or, you mm. know, but maybe it still has value, right. Or, or maybe, uh, put a different, uh, different use case, right. Like if you can, you can use the, the data in interesting ways, but you don't mm. entirely know what those ways are yet. You're kind of, you, you hypothesize, right, right. you anticipate yeah, it's like, it's like possible, potential we, value, right. Right. So the art of the, what's the ceiling on, on using data on, on generating value from data? Well, it's, it's kind of unknown data. Mm. So, utilitarian in so many different ways, unlike maybe sand or whatever else we were talking about there. There's limited ways that you can use it. Obviously, you can't get get creative. So um, one of the things that we do with companies to help them understand that ceiling or, you know, approximate what that value ceiling is on data is we run workshops um, coming up with ideas on how to generate value from data. Um, We call it a a data monetization or information innovation workshop. And so we work through... um, not just how to use the data internally, but how to monetize it externally. And in doing so, we we look at the full range of stakeholders for an organization, the extended business ecosystem, the suppliers, the partners, the partner suppliers, the suppliers, partners, the partners, customers, and who might find value in the data in some way um, versus, you know, others. And so kind of at the end of these workshops, we, we, we you know, come up with 30, 40, 50 ideas on how to, um, how to generate value from data. Wow, that that's really fascinating. You, know, uh, uh, you come up with 30, 40 different ideas uh, in these workshops. So I, I would love to dig into more about this workshop. So when you set these things up, how do you, who's involved, right? Within mm-hmm. an organization, w- ah. what type of leadership involved, or is it uh, more kind of people, uh, data engineers type, what business units are involved? Like, how yeah, do, yeah. Yeah, let's so we'll do this one business unit at a time, depending on the size and scope of the organization and what kind of data they want to, uh, what, what, ta- what kind of data they want to explore. Um, you know what's most interesting is who's not invited to the workshops. <laughs> Any guess? Any guess? Ooh, um, C level folks. I don't know. No. I don't know. No, I don't IT know. folks. Usually we no. don't have like IT leaders. Of course, of course. We bring in the business leaders and we bring in people who understand the data. And we actually recommend bringing in um, external, you know, partners, suppliers, somebody to kind of represent that that faction. But um, we find it not very, particularly helpful to have the you know, IT directors or CIOs in those workshops. Um, <laughs> so intentionally um, actually kind of saying, hey, yeah, like. I mean, I don't like to be yeah. you know, mean about it, but like, like, here's the priority of people we want in these workshops. And, you know, you can't tell the CIO, CIO not to come, but. Um. <laughs> <laughs> so some of the sweet C-suite gets in there, but when the, the architect raises yeah, your hand, yeah. you go, ah, we, we only have, you know, we only have 30 idea. chairs. <laughs> well, the CIO is more about, you know, how we can make it happen and, and mm-hmm. can we make it happen? I'm frozen. You guys see me? Yeah. yeah oh yeah. We good. can still see in here. Yeah. Okay. Good. Um, mm-hmm. And. Um, and so that, that becomes interesting as a follow-on uh, feasibility assessment. So after we generate these ideas through these series of workshops, we um, run them through a feasibility assessment. 
and we look at 10 different dimensions of, of, of feasibility for each idea. Are they economically feasible? Are they operationally feasible, um, managerially, ethically, legally? Um, is, the, is the data of sufficient quality? Uh, I think I mentioned, are they technically feasible? And so, um, um, yeah, and then we'll, we'll see kind of what floats to the top, and then we'll kind of tackle those ideas, maybe do a further analysis, a market analysis. Um, on the ideas. And by market analysis, I mean maybe external, but also maybe internally. We might be polling internal potential customers of the data to determine their um, you know, penchant for, for actually taking advantage of the, that data or the analytics or whatever we're going to be, be producing. So I'd love to get a little bit more concrete. You're saying 30... Oh, product. This is all very much a product approach. I didn't actually mm -hmm. mention that. But we're taking yeah. a, a pretty standard product management approach. You know, I'm not I'm the first one to admit that there's there's nothing new about <laughs> infonomics. It's all about adapting ideas from other asset disciplines. And so one of those is, is taking a product management approach. Um, I just posted a, a, a piece in Forbes this week on how to take a product management rather than a project management approach to data monetization. Mm. Yeah, I'd love to go dig more on the data as a product. Yeah. Because this is something that we're seeing a lot. Right? I mean, we can we can also talk about data mesh, which I know you have. I think you talked about that last week. Yeah, I'm still not yeah. still not convinced that that the the domain owners of a mesh are, are, should be developing products. But we'll, we'll, maybe we'll debate that another oh, time. Let, let, let's dive into that in a second here. But before right. we go there, I would I you mentioned thirty to forty ideas that have come out in a workshop. Yeah. Based on what are the top ones that you see coming up over and over again? Curious. Um, marketplaces. Creating a marketplace for data, um, a um, trying to not disclose disclose clients. Um, one of them sells specific uh, <laughs> um, products into a particular market, but let's just say there's an ancillary market for those type of customers. Typically, buy some other things that this one company doesn't sell. So why not create a marketplace? And invite your customers to come to the marketplace to buy ancillary, you know, products. Kind of like you know, Amazon originally sold books, and then they're like, "Oh, shit, we can use our platform to sell anything, right?" So companies that are selling specific products into a specific market might want to consider monetizing their customer base by creating a marketplace of of uh, third-party add-on products and and, and so forth. Um, and this gets to a point which is um, a lot of clients will say. Uh, you know, companies will say, well, we can't monetize our customer data because of GDPR or the uh, CCPA or HIPAA or whatever. And uh, again, we used to, we're in the no BS zone here. So uh, I call BS on that. It just shows the lack of creativity. Yeah, you know, I can't sell you my customer data, but I can sell your stuff to my customers, right? And take a cut of that action, a referral fee, you know, whatever. And so to, to say that you can't monetize your customer data, yeah, you can't sell your customer data, you can't license your customer data, but there are lots of other creative ways to monetize data that you can't expose e externally. And yeah, uh, I do those ideas can really come to the forefront. Yeah, I do notice that uh, you know a lot of companies I talk to have a mm -hmm. relatively simplistic view of what it means to monetize your data. Like they're yeah, like, yeah. well, well, I can't sell my that. data. Or there isn't really a good marketplace for it, or or like right. sometimes they'll say things like, uh, "Oh yeah, we assigned a product manager to our data, yeah. and they're trying to figure that out, right?" And you're so, like, "Oh really? Huh?" Let's, let's expand the box. <laughs> let's expand the box around that. So yeah, you know, there's monetizing data; they're selling it, okay. But um, our our more liberal definition of of data monetization is you is um, is uh, deploying data, deploying available data assets 
to uh, or generating new innovative value streams from available data assets. And there's a couple of interesting parts there. One is new value streams. Doesn't have to be cash. Uh, could be trading data for goods and services for commercial favorable terms. You could be baking it into existing products. You could be extracting it from products. You could be creating reports or analyses. Um, you could be using it to improve operational performance, to reduce expenses. There are all sorts of different ways to monetize uh, data. And the other thing, part of that definition, is you notice I say um, to, to monetize um, uh, available data assets, not your data assets. There's tons of freely available data out there that can be harvested and scraped and gathered and surveyed or, or whatever and, um, and monetized as well. So companies shouldn't get just fixated on the data within their own four walls. As part of these workshops, we're also looking at not only your data model and your data assets, but what other data assets are might be interesting or valuable if intersected with your own data to create new kinds of data products to serve not only your maybe your immediate marketplace, but maybe your customers, customers, your suppliers, mm -hmm. suppliers, and and so forth. So it's really about kind of opening, opening the eyes as wide as opening the the aperture as wide as possible. Yeah, and you know sometimes I wonder, is data monetization? I mean, it, it is a useful term, but is yeah. is it you know should we actually be augmenting it with a few other terms like data activation yeah, yeah. or you you use the word utilization, data utilization? Are there other mm -hmm. words we should be using in our vocabulary more in addition I like to, to use monetization? whatever words the client's comfortable with? So sometimes it's information innovation, sometimes it's data monetization, sometimes it's data activation, sometimes it's data. Uh, uh, um, uh, liquidity, you know, I've heard. So mm -hmm. whatever they're comfortable with, I don't, I don't really care. I'm not doctrinaire about language too much. Yeah, no, that, that, that's really important. Is that you want to make sure that you use the language of the of the of the end the customer, customer user, yeah. right? So make yeah. sure that they don't because you use data monetization marketplace, you immediately think, oh, you're going to go sell my data. We mm -hmm. can't do that, and they kind of yeah, they, they're in these philosophy. Ways. At West Monroe, which is we meet customers, we, we meet our clients where they are, right? And, um, Good and part of that involves using their 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 language. Mm -hmm. All right, so language so you, matter. We, we definitely language words matter. Mm -hmm. I tell all the time. So, um, all right, you, you're, we're we're having a workshop. We're on board. We're realizing that we need to go. Data is an asset, and we're figuring out ways to go use it. And we come up with a couple of ideas. Who's actually going to own this? Who is responsible for this? Does this go underneath the the CDO office or the strategy, uh, um, or or does it? You start creating data domains. I mean, what yeah, what are I, your thoughts? How do you recommend this? Listen, there there's some people out out there, um, uh, and I love Bill Schmarzo, for example. You know, he talks about the chief data monetization officer. I'm like, why isn't the CDO the chief data monetization officer? Why, why have somebody else? I mean, it should be, you know, he or she should be the person to be generating value from data assets, or at least, um, um, you know, working with the business units to do so. Um, so, yeah, I think it, should, it definitely belongs under the chief data officer. Sometimes we'll see it under a COO and maybe certain very large business units and very large companies will have their own initiative to, you know, monetize their own data. And that that's, fine as well. Again, it's, it really depends on the culture, the org structure, you know, that kind of stuff. What, what are, what is that type of culture and org structure you're seeing that is, that, that is being successful at this, right? Because we're having a lot of these conversations yeah. about, is it cent centralized structure, decentralized structures, right? Mm -hmm. uh, what is the role of the CDO here? Uh, mm -hmm. uh, where, where is the CDO going to be around in five, 10 years and so forth? Uh, yeah. 
I mean, I think, you know, Tom Davenport talks about um, uh, playing both offense and defense, and I love that. I think the CDOs that get too fixated on one side of the ball or the other are the ones that, that you know, aren't, aren't successful. So there's the defensive side, the governance, the cataloging, the, um, the uh, regulatory issues, the privacy, and then there's the, the offense side of the ball. Which is you know generating value from from need to be focused on, on on both of those. The types of organizations that are most successful at this, well, pretty clearly they're the the digital natives, the ones that have grown up in the age of data, not the ones who are trying to catch up. And uh, the ones who are trying to catch up, I mean, if you don't have a culture of R and D and translate that R and D culture to your data, not just your core products, then I, I, I'm not investing in you. So. Mm. I mean, you know, we've, um, <laughs> you'll help, right? right. <laughs> um, you know, we've, we've had yeah. uh, a couple of CDOs on our show. Uh, one mm-hmm. of them was actually Mohammed Osser from uh, McKinsey who talked mm-hmm. about CDOs needing to be a data entrepreneur. And then obviously yeah. you get other kinds of CDOs RD, as well. Yeah, yeah. You know, you get like CDOs that are more like facilitators. They're trying to get the mm-hmm. right people talking and things like that. You have CDOs that are more like protectors, like, uh, you know, governance mm-hmm. is in, and sort of compliance is my really my four, right? Um, do you see certain types of CDOs uh, in terms of their approach that um, is going to be more successful in monetizing data? Is it is it trying to blend these three ideas together, or is it a certain one over the others? Um, you know, I, I just uh, I did some research recently, um, and I, I gave a presentation called "The Business Case for the CDO." Um, and, and in there, I, I've been surveying companies for for a few years, and we've got about five hundred uh, companies interviewed and surveyed. And what we found is that there, there are two kinds of CDOs. There's the the um, full-figured you know CDO that it really has a, a true executive budget resources seat at the executive table, you know all of that in in the annual report. And then there's the the CDO light, who maybe has the title but doesn't have the authority, the autonomy, the budget. Maybe reports to the CIO rather than as a peer to the CIO. And what we find is there's there's some pretty stark differences among. Um, those those two roles. Let me uh, pull up some data here. So, organizations with a C-level CDO are three to four times more likely to be formally valuing their their data assets. Um, organizations with a C-level CDO are seven times more likely to be generating external monetary value from their data, um, and um, uh, they're three times more likely to be generating other forms of commercial value from their data. So I think having that authority, that autonomy, the resources, the latitude um, at, an, at a true executive level seems to make a, a, a world of difference. And that seems to be a huge vote of confidence in, in, in the idea of the CDO. And you know, yeah. do you think that this is a concept that's going to last for a long time? That's the CDO role, or is it going to kind of evolve? I, and emerge? I, I would hope so. I mean, I, I mm-hmm. You know, data is the, the, you know, easily become the fifth factor of production in addition to land, labor, capital, and entrepreneurship. And in fact, it's very much replacing uh, land and labor um, as, a, as a factor of production uh, more and more. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I think there, there's every reason to have a, a true uh, executive data leader. You know, um, it, it, while I was researching Infonomics, um, I was thinking about other kinds of asset classes and, you know, I came across the, the concept of you know labor and was looking at balance sheets and, okay, well, why isn't labor, why aren't employees um, balance sheet assets? Anyone? Anyone? Bueller? 
It's been too long since my uh, accounting classes. <laughs> Anyone on the thread here? I'm, I'm looking at some people on the thread. Quickly. Three, two, one. You can't own people. Remember, an asset has to be something that's owned or, con owned or controlled. Owned or controlled. You can't own people, so it's not on the balance sheet. However, mm -hmm. back in the 1960s, uh, Dr. Gary Becker at University of Chicago, working under Milton Friedman, who you probably have heard of, um, came up with the idea of human capital. Until that time, it was all labor, workforce, you know, whatever we, we, we called it. And he had the idea that you know, even though uh, labor can't be capitalized because you can't you know, own people in civilized countries, um, you can and should manage them with the same discipline as other assets. And if you wanted to drive more value from them, right, improve their quality, improve the way that they're managed, improve the way that they're cared for, um, the same as we do with other kinds of assets. And so his ideas, uh, he actually won a Nobel for, for this and uh, the book that, that he wrote called Human, uh, Human Capital. And so this concept of infonomics is a sort of <laughs> sort of standing on the shoulders of giants, but data me actually meets the full criteria of an asset, unlike you know unlike labor. So I think I digressed, but yeah. So so on, on continuing here, the, uh, old fashioned. Well, you still need to eat the marshmallow, right? I want to go. We need yeah, to see more more <laughs> So, who have you been seeing who's actually killing it with data? Like, is there? A, can you call out a company like wow this company like this there there must be case studies written about this company or yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're the household names I, you know oop i'm having connection issues no. can you guys still see me all right yeah we can, yeah, we can okay. hear yeah you. we can hear you also so, i'm curious uh, companies are even people like where is it like a, a an outstanding cdo that you think like that cdo has really figured it out and we should he we should follow that person or just Putting you here on the spot, honest. No, no, no you put me on the spot, which is funny because you know, I'm working on my next book, which is a compendium of use cases on how organizations Ooh. are using data and analytics in innovative and and high value ways. And so it's a hundred stories, each with a an analysis by one of a hundred different experts and consultants and thought leaders that I conscripted <laughs> to work. I on. love that. My wife told me, um, you know, if I ever wrote another book, it would have to be titled uh, "How I Used Big Data to Find My Next Wife." Um, so, um, so I sort of working cheated. title. Yeah. So, um, so I sort of cheated and I just crowdsourced this one, um, rather than actually working on it myself. <laughs> so can, can, can you, oh. what are the top ones? Oh, data, right? There we go. Um, so there, there are just phenomenally great stories of, of companies using data in, in innovative ways. Um, like some of my favorites are, <clears throat> um, I tell the story about, you know, uh, Walmart. And uh, Walmart had a, a great search engine to help people find what they're looking for. 45 million searches per month. They analyze that data to help people find, you know, what they're, what they're typing in the search bar. Um, one week they realize that there's a certain search term that's leading people astray. Uh, people are typing in the word house and it's taking them to housing goods and housewares and dog houses. And it wasn't at all what people were looking for. When they looked into it, they realized that those searches corresponded with the um, week that a certain television show season premiered. The medical drama House. House, yes. Remember? Yeah, starring Hugh Laurie, doing such a great American accent, I didn't even know he was British. Anyway, <laughs> so the uh, <clears throat> what Walmart realized was that their search engine wasn't taking what into account. It was 
freaking staring at its own navel. It was only looking at its own data. It wasn't out there looking at what was going on in the world, what was trending. Once they started incorporating social media trends into the search engine scoring algorithm, they increased, no, they decreased shopping cart abandonment by 10 to 15%. And in Walmart terms, that's like a billion dollars a year of sales. Wow. Yeah. So I talk about the value of external data. You know, a lot of companies are just kind of, you know, yeah, we bring in external data. I just, I just run an external data survey for a, uh, a company. We haven't published it yet. But one of those findings is uh, barely 50% of companies have any designated person, let alone a team, um, for curating or sourcing external data. I mean, they've got entire, you know, procurement departments procuring office furniture and office supplies, right? And not a single person or, or group procuring data supplies. Big mistake. But one would can argue that this should be part of, uh, for example, you have a, a data catalog initiative, right? Yep. I want to know, I'm starting to inventory these things. Mm -hmm. I want to know how they're being used by whom and stuff like whoever's mm -hmm. running your data catalog initiative should be able to take that responsibility and start Maybe. making going through that. Maybe. I mean, it takes a lot of research to identify external data sources from, you know, there's 10 million data sets published by government organizations and NGOs worldwide. There's at least 5,000, maybe 10,000 now data brokers out there selling data. Um, you probably have hundreds of partners or suppliers from whom you could exchange data with. Um, there are billions of websites to harvest data from. Um, and there's you know trillions of social media posts to harvest content from as well. So to put that on one person, you know. No, but yeah. this, is, this is a really interesting point because you're thinking about, um, I mean, we have a data catalog background. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about well, your, this is an interesting yeah. concept, right? Data procurement that should be somewhat connected, related. We weren't working together and people, I agree. People are not thinking about this. I mean, folks that yeah. we talk to, I don't think <laughs> data procurement is a concept or a role that's ever come up. And and it makes sense that this is something we should be starting yeah. start thinking about, especially if you wrote about, about it as being a, a, a critical role, like right after the data scientist and the CDO, a data curator. So yeah. wait, let, 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 words matter. What do you mean by a data curator here versus a, the, you also mentioned a data procurement. Yeah, right? I to, so data procure, procurement specialist, data curator, somebody to identify potentially available or valuable data assets, how to get access to them, pricing. You got to bring in the legal people to sort out the T's and C's of you know, what you can and can't do with the data. Um, so, you know, just like procuring any other kind of asset. So I call it a curator just because it's, it's, I guess, shorthand for a, a, a procurement specialist. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Yeah. And, so and this curator might also be somebody who's identifying internal data assets because very often the left hand doesn't know what the right hand and the middle exactly. hand are, are doing. So having somebody who's aware of, hey, you know, if we use the sales data over here, we could help marketing over there. It's a great story, a, a company called um, Vivint. And uh, Vivint used the data valuation models that I published to identify, you know, they're the security systems firm in, based in Utah, and uh, they're, they're public about this. And so they, they um, um, were challenged by their parent company, I think they're owned by one of the private equity firms, who said, listen, you need to do a better job of, of using your data. So they used the valuation models to identify data that had a, a low economic value, low, it wasn't delivering a lot of, you know, bang for the buck but had a high degree of business relevancy. Remember the business relevancy model? And so data that they found that had this huge gap, 
they're like, we need to find better ways to leverage this data. So the private equity firm said, we don't want you changing business processes. We just want you using the data that you've got better. So they looked around the firm. They found this, these data assets. They curated them, you know, again, internally, cataloged them, valued them, and then came up with, then they ideated on it and came up with 20 different ways to better leverage data throughout the organization. And when all was said and done, they added uh, $300 million of market value on a $2 billion business. That's, so. that's, that's a huge, huge yeah. impact. Yeah. Um, 15% or something. Yeah. So we've hit, good, we've hit a lot of comments in the chat here. Yeah. Uh, we've got some good comments here. Yeah. Uh, you know, Jeff actually just asked here, mm. you know, how does one do quality control on external data sources in the era of falsification? Great, great question. So yeah, you're going to have to have another data source to val val to validate data against, right? Um, let's say you're buying name and address data or some demographic data. Yeah, you're gonna have to find some way to validate it. Most, you know, data providers will will, will offer a uh, a sample set of data to do so. Um, I forgot to mention data marketplaces. So there's data marketplaces now where you can you can buy data, um, mm -hmm. and uh, um, so uh, yeah. So you just have to do your own your own validation um, using the you know maybe using the toolkit that we published at, at Gartner with these twelve different um, um, quality calculations. A good framework to use for that. And yeah, yeah, it is nice that a lot of these marketplaces now, it seems to be mm. becoming more table stakes around these marketplaces to let you have a sample of the data or temporary mm. use mm. of the data to do things like uh, examine the match rate mm -hmm. of how much it can join against your own data. And, right. you know, if it meets Same with your quality buying, standards, right? Like we bought fabric for the cushions of our sofas on the you know, on our deck, right? You know, they sent us samples first. We could test their quality and their, you know, feel them and, and look at them. So same same with data. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think uh, we've hit a lot of really good topics here. And I think mm. one sort of last sort of sort of fun topic, but I, I feel like we'll find a way to uh, to make it um, a little more serious because it does have serious mm. implications about how you think of things is, right. uh, you know, this idea of data as oil. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, and is that really the right analogy or is that the wrong analogy? OK, it's, it's and, a great uh, analogy from a macro that. perspective. Mm -hmm. So we'll, we'll talk about it. Great analogy from a macro perspective. Oil drove the economy at a macro level a century ago. Data is driving the economy today. But mm -hmm. that's kind of where that's the extent of the comparison. Right. When you start looking at the it kind of fails of after that. assets, they're very, very different. Data has potentially more value than oil, again, because it doesn't deplete. You can use it multiple ways simultaneously, and using data creates more data. So oil doesn't do that. And maybe there's a little bit of a, a mining analogy, like, oh, like mm. the data, it's hidden below mm. the surface, and now we have the way to tap in and get to it, like that kind sure. of a thing. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and also, unlike oil, um, when you spill data, you can't clean it up at all. Yep. I really That's like true. how I really like how you don't really like the data as a new <laughs> But I mean, but this that, yeah. this is the honest no bills. It's expensive right? to transport. It's expensive to store. It's yeah, you know, data data yeah. is very different. Yeah, so, data so, is easy to duplicate. It's easy to move around. Well, yeah. easy for, to for move better around, or worse, right? Right. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. So the phrase is "data is the new data." If you want to quote me on it, do you have a shirt that? Is that is that? No, but I should. I just came up with that when you when you said that. So, oh wow! Heard okay. it here you first. It. You heard it That's here new. first. Yeah. Data is the new data. Data is the new data. 
Yeah, we'll, well, we'll stick that shirt in our merch store that doesn't exist, and we'll share the proceeds with you. All right, with a little Infonomics icon on it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So we'll we'll cross promotion. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think uh, I mean this has been a great discussion, and we can keep going on so many different ways. But I want to go into this uh, lightning round that we have. We oh. started out with uh, no questions. I played Jeopardy, so I'm I'm this week, so I'm 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 ready. I'm prepared for this. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll go first. So one, should data actually be on balance sheets? Literally. Yes. Meets the criteria. All right. Accountants nice. who are listening. Meets all the criteria. Own and controlled, exchangeable for cash, generates probable future economic benefits, and is separable from other assets. Those mm. are the four criteria, plain and simple. And I, when I've interviewed uh, uh, fo folks on the financial accounting standards boards, they agree. So. so this is a great segue to the second question here, which is there, right. is there eventually going to be an accepted standard way to calculate data value? There, there must be. Um, I would imagine that there, ha there will have to be ways to adapt the, the standard models, the cost market income approach. Um, there are some rare circumstances now. I know this is a speed round and I'm digressing. But, oh, that's um, okay. If you're a data broker, like Experian or or, or uh, Equifax or you know, someone like that, you're a data company. Um, you actually, if you can, if you purchase another company's database um, outright, purchase the data. You now own the data. It's in your data stores. You can capitalize that under other intangibles on the balance sheet and then straight line depreciate it. So there are there are exceptions, and so that gives me a little hope. All right. I mean, it's it's complicated, but it seems like yeah. it's we have to get there. You know, how do you value a patent or a copyright? You know, I think valuing data is even easier than that. Well, when we figured out depreciation and some of these other things, right? And and they can yeah. get that can those can get pretty complicated. Yeah, that's a good question. Does data depreciate? Well, or no, it doesn't deplete when you use it. It does age, and its utility may go down for certain use cases. But that's complicated. Very complicated. Yeah, but yeah. you could also think that older data for some context may be much more valuable and stuff. So it's, it is like the blueprint for a bridge, right? After you build a bridge, you don't need that blueprint for 30 years until it comes time to repair the bridge. Then you got to go digging for that blueprint. And if you don't have it, you're screwed. So and that's an ex interesting example. <laughs> that's when that, yeah. So, you know, there are yeah. examples, right? Or, um, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, if you're looking to, uh, to uh, leave your firm, you know, for the company you're with or something, you probably want to pull up your employment contract to see, you know, mm. what, you know. So, yeah, so there's there's data that you don't use. It becomes dark data for a while, right? And yeah. then you, and then eventually you need it, right? It but then also there's like data that you add more context to as we as we increase our computing capacity. Data becomes more potentially valuable because we can do more things with it, right? Mm -hmm. um, has yeah. become, become more more digital and digitalized. Yeah, um, I, I was just thinking when you were saying that it reminds yeah. me of like data lineage too. Like nobody really mm -hmm. cares about the data lineage until the dashboard breaks, and then everybody's like, "Where's the data lineage? <laughs> <laughs> right, where did this data come from?" So, all right, ne ne next lightning mm -hmm. round question: Can a CDO play both offense and defense? Yeah, they better. So. You better have people on your team to do so and the resources and budget. So here's why a, a lot of CDOs, I think, are, are changing jobs. They initially get into a job where they're the CDO light. They're operating in an advisory, a strategy capacity. They're uh, maybe leading a data governance effort, that, that kind of thing. 
but they again they don't have the budget the authority the resources um and then after two and a half years they get flush, frustrated and, and find a job as a as a the full flavored cdo so i think that's mm. the path that i'm seeing i want to test that um interesting so, so that's so, an interesting so, hypothesis yeah. yeah so the cdo light is a stepping stone to actually get the executive level cdo uh, for sure yeah, I think yeah, it makes, makes, makes total sense, but it's yeah, so interesting yeah. that you're seeing that pattern there. So mm -hmm. uh, any CDOs who are listening, right? Are, are you a CDO light or, or are you an executive one? And, and, and maybe you're got to get I ready to go. I use that term CDO light. It's a bit, pejor a bit pejorative, but it's not yeah, depend but, anyone. Yeah. All right. Uh, <laughs> final one. Tim, go. All right. Final lightning round question here. Um, and we love to talk about hot roles, new roles, right? We talk about data product manager, all that kind of stuff. Is the data curator the next hot new data role? Um, so it was one of the ones that I, I published a, uh, an article at, at Gartner called uh, Fresh Hot Roles for the uh, Data Savvy Organization. And the data curator was one of those roles that we, we uh, specifically called out. Yeah. Others were like a data economist, right? Do you have anyone in your organization who is measuring the value of data? I'm, I'm going to cheat a little bit here. I want to yeah. I want to ask you a little right. tiny follow up question, just because I know right. we have a little bit of time here. Like right. data stewards and data curators. Do you th do you think yeah. both of those are are fine terms, and they're actually kind of two different hats, or do you actually kind of like data curators better than data stewards? Uh, different roles. Different roles. Okay. Yeah, stewards probably steward of you know existing known cataloged data sources. I mean, maybe in a small organization, somebody can, can handle both of those roles, but you know, I think they're, they're, they're different. Tell you the role, the, uh, the role that I don't like, you know, the, the role that I, I despise hmm. data owner. Hmm. That, that th yes, organizations should have somebody who's responsible and accountable for a data asset, but that title owner is one that perpetuates data hoarding and silos and all sorts of bad behavior. So um, when I started looking around, uh, I think it's the worst concept we've come up with in, 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 in data management, um, or the, at least the worst title. And so when I started looking at other kinds of assets and how they're managed and the, the roles surrounding them, I came across the, the role of a trustee in the financial world or, or a fiduciary. And that's somebody who has legal and ethical responsibility for the well-being and caretaking of a particular asset. And I think that's the term we should be using in, um, in, in, in data circles as well. And in fact, um, since I published the book, the state of New York has now mandated that for all key data assets, uh, there be a designated fiduciary. I really, I, I, I love that. Yeah. That's exactly uh, Rob, Robin agrees with you. She says, replace data owner. The data trustee. <laughs> this is this is yeah. this. It, it, it's it's not the role definition. It's just the the title. Just it, it, the wrong impression, right? We want to democratize data. We don't want people owning it and hoarding it, and creating silos. Yeah, you know, what? I'm gonna. I, that's yeah. a terminology I use a lot. Data data owner or data, tr yeah, data trustee. I'm gonna start, yeah. I'm start replacing this yeah. trustee, Doug. You, you you got me that. Thank you. All right. Well, well, hey, I think it's uh it's our TTT. Tim takes it away with our takeaways. We've had so much discussion. And as I we mentioned, Doug, we're, we're taking a bunch of notes here and we got pages of notes. Time to eat the marshmallow? Yeah, if you All want, right, yeah. We, we you, you can eat oh, and we'll wow. talk. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Tim, I just wish I had one too. I feel, I feel a little left out here. Um, so uh, first main takeaway, data is the new data. 
right? And data <laughs> creates data when you use it. It doesn't deplete. You can use it in many different ways. Right. Um, that's that's an important takeaway here. It's not mm -hmm. it's not the new oil. It's not the new fancy chair that you're sitting in. It's uh it's uh it's something that is it is what it is, and we should treat it as the unique right. thing that it is and the important thing that it is. Um, and data is not currently on the balance sheet. It should. It's an asset, and if it truly is an asset, then it should be treated like we treat other assets, right? Mm -hmm. Um, you talked can't about all these ways of value. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Can't manage what you don't measure. Can't manage what you can't, ma what you're not measuring. Right. And, right. and on the point of measuring you, you, you propose some of these different ways to value your data, which sounds like a yeah. great shout out for your book, Infonomics to, to check out more details about how you can think about valuing your data. Mm -hmm. Um, and then final takeaway from me is I really liked when you mentioned about Bill Schmarzo kind of mentioning the chief data monetization officer and you tied that back to that, that should just be the chief data officer. Right. And, and Probably. in some of our conversations, folks have kind of been like, yeah. well, maybe the chief data officer will evolve, <clears throat> maybe it'll go away. Right. Like I'm with you, Doug, I hope it never goes away and I hope we give it more responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Um, I, if you haven't had Bill on the show yet, highly recommend right. uh, Bill Schmarzo. All right, we, 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 we will we, peg him under our potential and, next invitation. Uh, another one who I have guest lecture. My uh, I teach in infonomics at a MBA class at University of Illinois, and one of the more popular guest lecturers is Chris Serdak, who wrote the book uh, Jerk, and um, and Data Crush. He's 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 brilliant and uh, eye popping. Nice, love it. Yeah. So I got a couple of takeaways. Takeaways. Yeah, what are your one, takeaways, one? I, I really love this idea how you, you set up these workshops to figure out the value of data. Mm. Uh, it's not helpful to bring in the IT, the CIO in there. I, I, I love how you're being very bold and honest and no BS. Uh, yep. You can get so many different ideas. And once you go through these ideas, you go through some feasibility study, right? Can I, right. Can I do this through managerial, legally, ethically, technically, and so mm -hmm. forth? Think then you involve the, the CIO and... Their team, mm -hmm. yeah. There we go. All right. So they're not they're not completely out of the loop, but initially this no. workshop, so it's okay. Uh, CDO, right? You have this defense and offense, as you just said. They need to be able to go do both. And let's acknowledge mm -hmm. that there are two types of CDOs. You're your you're the full figure executive CDO, and then you're the non-executive CDO doesn't have a budget. So which type of CDO are you? Right, that's something to consider. Who's being successful at doing things with data and, and, and really treating data as an asset, getting mm -hmm. value at it? Is those digitally native companies and if you're not, you're playing catch up, you better have a, an R&D culture in there or otherwise, in your yeah. words, like you're not investing in them. Um, the, <laughs> this whole data curator, I, I'm really, really interested about it, uh, especially data curator procurement, right? This is something kind of related to if you have a data catalog initiative. I, I find this something we need to go think more about. Mm -hmm. And finally, we should stop thinking and, and using the term data owner. Let's talk about data trustee. Well, Doug, I want to throw it back to you. Two final questions, which one you've already answered, but if you have more. One, what's your advice about data, life, whatever? And second, who else should we invite? Um, so, yeah, I suggested who, who to invite. Um, advice about data. Um, you know, we didn't talk much about data literacy, and I, I think it's just incumbent upon organizations and people at every level to become sufficiently uh, data literate. And that doesn't mean how to use a BI tool or, you know, or a catalog tool, but understand all the terminology, what it means, the, the challenges of, of data architecture, um, the impact on the organization when data changes or data is misused or mishandled. Um, 
I, I think all that, you know, understanding the value of data, uh, that all ought to be part of a, a data literacy program and then uh, ensure there's sufficient change management um, components to the, the data literacy program as well. Awesome. Well, Doug, yeah. this has been a fantastic conversation. Uh, Thanks, guys. So, so many, many important nuggets. And as always, I look forward to listening again to this, to, to, to our podcast ourselves. Thank you so much. And Cheers. this is Catalog and Cocktails.